Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Y'all are kind. Y'all are kind or you're obedient. I'm not sure which, but thank you for standing. Hey, uh, a couple of things I wanted to update you on. One, we uh, are in the search for a Sozo Kids pastor, and so uh, grateful for Lynette and what she has done with our kids, um, and uh, her time is coming to an end, and so uh, I think we're closing applications this week um, for that, and so if you would like to apply or know somebody that would, then contact uh, Natalie Taylor. You can get her info off the website, her newsletter. Um, or a bunch of other places. So um, that's one. The, the second is um, our uh, friends that we're partnering with to plant a church in Burundi. They met uh, for the first time this last uh, Sunday, their meeting, or they met again uh, earlier today um, for their second time. Their, their first gathering was um, African style, as they said it, underneath a mango tree. And they had about 45 people present and uh, and God showed up, and it was really good. Um, and then today, I think they got a tent, and they're working on building a building. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, God's at work there. One of the things that happened while we were there, we were uh, in a gathering with some leaders at uh, Pastor Freddie's house, and we were talking and praying, and Justin and I, where's J- Justin was on keys back there, um, had a word for a uh, young woman that was staying in their house. She had been uh, orphaned, um, and she uh, was staying with them. Freddie was actually, uh, Freddie and Mama Joe were paying for her tuition to be in university there in Bujumbura, the capital city of Burundi. And as we were praying, um, God gave me a, a word for her um, that she uh, felt like she didn't fit and that she just needed a father's blessing. So I prayed for her. She said, I don't know what just happened, but I just encountered God. That was real. I don't know what that is. Well, this last week, she came to church for the first time, um, and then she gave her life to Jesus. So pretty awesome. Also, uh, I'm just blown away by uh, Freddie and Mama Joe that they uh, would be paying uh, tuition for a young girl. Um, and sometimes we think about just... Uh, our generosity maybe towards believers in those kind of situations. Like, oh, if she's a Christian, then she would be qualified or something like that. But it's just cool, their generosity leading people to Jesus. So impressed with that. I thought that was uh, a a pretty cool uh, update. So they're meeting today for their second time, and uh, they know that there's a lot of people coming that don't know Jesus. And so they're really excited to see what he does there. So cool update from Abundant Life Church in Bujumbura, Burundi. Love what God is doing there. Kenny, as, we, as you know, we prayed for him last week, and he's with my brother Josh, and they uh, were watching, I guess, last week's service uh, this morning uh, with a bunch of Iranian refugees who have encountered God, um, and they're just having a blast traveling around Europe, encouraging uh, local churches made up of mostly refugees and seeing God move in their lives in pretty incredible ways. So cool stuff going on that you and I get to be a part of, even if we're right here. So we've been in this series, uh, The Mission of God, last week. It was Vision Sunday, and I taught a message uh, I later retitled uh, Bridezilla, and talking about the, 
what God's doing in the church, and I feel like God is opening us up to the reality that it's not about us, but that we exist for the sake of the world. And I think we're most blessed when we give ourselves away, amen? So one of the themes that we've kind of been going after in this series, the, the mission of God, is that the mission of God is family. Like it's not just that we are family on mission, which we are, that banner there says it, but, but actually what it is is to bring other people into the family of God. Not necessarily simply the organization of the church or into religion by any means, but that people would experience and encounter the very family of God, the love of God, that they would have a place. Now, some of us think we must not fit in the family of God because we look like nobody else present. Like I'm just a little bit different and so I don't quite fit in. And I just want to say to you that that's one of the the biggest lies that you could ever believe. Not that you aren't different, because you probably are. Like, in fact, look at your neighbor and tell them you're different. Just a little bit. And the reason why you fit is because you are different. That's the way a puzzle works. That's the way the family of God works. It's that we fit because we are different, not because we're the same. And here's what God's after, and this is what uh, we'll talk about a bit this morning. God is after mature sons and daughters that look like him. He's not after mature sons and daughters that look like me or that look like you. And so as we talk about being disciples and making disciples this morning, what we're talking about is that you have a unique way that you reflect and embody the image of God. And as you mature, what happens is that becomes more evident, more brilliant, the light in you becomes brighter. And so the goal is not that we make religious clones that look like everybody else, that think like everybody else, but instead that through your life, you put the brilliance of God on display by being uniquely who he created you to be. And so often I find my... Self, I've, I've seen strong leaders reproduce themselves in other people instead of Jesus in other people, and it makes me heart sick. Because what we want to see is we want to give our lives away to others, but not so that they would become like us, but so that they would mature to be like Jesus. That's what God is after. He's after mature sons and daughters that look like him, that represent him in the world. And, and so the goal is not actually that we would attempt to become something than what we already are, but that we would be the real us who God created us to be from the very beginning. And that, that real us has been marred by our own decision, our own sin, our own rebellion against God, and been marred by the decisions of other people and by difficult circumstances. And so we are in the process of growing and healing and becoming who God has always intended us to be. And so as we learn to be disciples of Jesus, what we're really learning to do is to embody him in a way that puts him on display, his life lived out through us. Amen? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is just rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. That's not a rebuke that I want from Jesus. And then Jesus is talking about his disciples. He says this to them. Whoever wants to be my disciple, say disciple. Disciple. 
whoever wants to be my disciple. That word disciple often is translated as learner or student. However, for you and I in the Western world, we've grown up in an academic tradition that prizes knowledge, right? And so oftentimes, if you've been in like maybe some sort of Bible study group, the person that knows the most seems to have the most authority. That's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. It's not about knowing the most. Are you with me? It's actually about becoming the most Christ-like. It's about his life lived out in power and love through our lives. And so when Jesus is, is using the word disciple, a better way to say it would be apprentice. It's not simply that you've learned what I know, but that you've actually become like me. Now, there's this brilliant part. We'll come back to Matthew 16. Uh, let's, let's skip over to John 12. Keep your hand there in Matthew 16. In John, oh, sorry, not John 12, John 14. In John 14, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, we'll pick up in uh, verse 10. It says, do you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Now, this is pretty brilliant. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, is saying, what you're experiencing in me is the Father, his life lived out in me. Now, on the right side of the cross, when we encounter Jesus, when we enter into the new covenant, what other people should experience in us is Jesus lived out through us. I like Steve's word. It's not imitating Jesus, it's emanating Jesus. That's the thing. It's his life lived out in us. And by the way, just a quick rabbit trail, Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. If there's anything in your theology that would tell you that Father God is different, maybe mean and harsh, and Jesus is the nice one, you have unbiblical theology. Because it says time and time again, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Hebrews 1 says that he's the, the exact representation of the Father. You can't get any more God-like than Jesus. And he doesn't have split personalities. It's not mean cop, bad cop. It is that when you see Jesus, you get the fullest representation of what Father God is like. And that's really good news because there is no body more perfect, more loving, more powerful than the person of Jesus. That's good news for me. That's a rabbit trail that's worth chasing. It says, believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on evidence of the works themselves. And then he goes on to say something uh, that stuck with me, challenged me for most of my life. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, if you were a first century disciple and you've done all the classes, you've got all of the Old Testament memorized, you're a standout student, you've made the cut every time to move on up in rabbinic tradition, and, and so you're on your way, it's graduation day to become a rabbi, 
right? You've studied faithfully under the rabbi, maybe out of hundreds of students, you're like one of the, the very top ones that get picked not to go do what your dad does, but actually to be a rabbi, a teacher, to be like a, a spiritual leader in the country. Then what your rabbi would do on graduation day, you would come up to him and he would say, you can do what I do. Now that's a really big thing. Because he's saying, hey, you've got what it takes. Now you're ready to be a rabbi. You can do what I do. You've passed the test. But what he wouldn't say is that you're going to do greater things than me. So we'll come back to that phrase in a second. The first thing is, is that on the right side of the cross, inside of the new covenant, here's what happens. You don't have to go to rabbi school to be a disciple of Jesus. Some of you are maybe in your 70s, you're like, that's really good news because I don't, I don't think I got time for that. <laughs> you don't have to go to rabbi school. Jesus changes the conversation from knowledge and behavior to being, for being a disciple to belief. He says, Whoever believes in me can do what I do. So now the disciples have passed the, the test, not because they know what he knows, but because they believe in him. So what he's saying is that spiritual maturity on the right side of the cross is not about knowledge and it's not about behavior. It's actually about your beliefs. And if you understand what belief means, belief is very different than knowledge. There's a lot of people that know the right things, but they don't believe what they know, and so their lives are powerless. I heard one guy say it this way, that we're saved because we believe in Jesus, but we're mature when we believe like Jesus. In fact, the goal of spiritual maturity in your belief system is not that you would do great miracles, though that's fun, there's an invitation to that, but the goal is that you would begin to think like Jesus. Now some of you are like, well, how is that possible? Well, let me give you an example. The minute you start to see yourself the way that Jesus sees you, you step into and walk in your true identity. Does that make sense? The minute you look at somebody else, the way that Jesus sees them, you begin to see them rightly. The minute that you look at a storm and have the ability to declare peace, you begin to believe like Jesus. The minute that the world is going crazy around you, maybe your finances are struggling or your kids aren't behaving, all of the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket, and you have peace, you've begun to believe like Jesus. And so the goal of reading scripture is not to know more, but it's actually that my beliefs would, become, would come into alignment with his beliefs. The reason why I worship is one, to minister to him and to bless him, but also to be like him, to discover what he's like. 
Because the best way to discover what somebody's like is not simply to read about them, but it's to be with them. And so the goal of maturity in our lives, being disciples of Jesus, is to learn to believe like him. That I would see myself, my circumstances, the world, that I would see God the way that Jesus does. In any place that's out of alignment in my belief system, I'll begin, to, I'll begin running into problems. It's like when you've had a really bad day and whatever habit it is, whatever uh, thought pattern you go down, when you realize, oh, this bad day, now I'm headed down this road, and you catch it, and you're like, you know what? I don't have to go down this road because I can believe better about the power of God in my life, about his ability to bring peace, his ability to restore broken relationships, all of those things, and I begin to learn to believe like him. For most of us, our, our struggles with sin are not behavior issues, actually for all of us. It's not behavior issues. If you, if you pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if any man looks at a woman with lust in his eyes, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. And the reason why he's saying that is, is what the old covenant was powerless to do in that it could only modify behavior to an extent. The new covenant in Jesus has the ability to change who we are and the way that we're wired to bring real life transformation so that I don't have to even start with that place of bad belief or bad thinking. He says, if you have hate in your heart, it's like murder. What he wasn't doing is starting a new ministry of condemnation. It wasn't like, oh, you just, you're so horrible, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. What he was saying is, hey, there's a better way possible in me. And so what the, Spirit of God in us does is it begins to empower better believing and that's what it means to be a disciple. Because what you'll find is that a good tree always has good fruit. And so if you get stuck on dealing with behavior issues, this is really important for parenting by the way is what I'm learning. If you get stuck with dealing with behavior issues instead of belief issues, you'll always find yourself dealing with that problem and never learning how to fix it. Like my, my own struggles in my life. In fact, when temptation seems enticing, I realize I'm onto something. I realize, oh, I, something is luring me. That means there's something in me, there's, there's something in my belief system that's off. And so now it becomes an opportunity to, to talk with God and say, okay, hey, what was going on? Why was that enticing to me? And so when we begin to pay attention to that stuff inside of us, what we realize is that I don't need to change my behavior. I first need to change my belief and let that belief bear good fruit. You with me? So he goes on to say, whoever believes in me, right? So he's changed it. He said, if you believe in me, you'll do the works that I've been doing. That's pretty incredible. Heard one guy say it this way. When I put my faith in Jesus, I get the faith of Jesus. 
Chew on that for a second. When I put my faith in Jesus, I get the faith of Jesus. What he's saying is, and and what I'm saying is, the, the faith that you have, it's not about the amount that you have. It's not that I would have truckloads of faith so that I could say to this mountain, go and be thrown into the sea. It's that I would have a mustard seed of faith planted in the person of Jesus. And because my, my faith is in him, even if it's minute, it can say to this mountain, go and be thrown into the sea and it'll be done. Because it's not, where, it's not how much faith you have, it's where you place it. Is that good news? So it's not like, oh, let me just see if I can just really work up some faith. But instead, it's trusting in Jesus. It's abiding trust in him. But he, I, I love this next line. He says, and they will do even greater things than these. Now, that's mind-blowing, right? We're talking about feeding the 5,000, raising Lazarus, the dead, several funerals that Jesus ruined. And, and Jesus is saying, you're going to do even greater than these. And I've told you this before, but I used to think, I was like, okay, well, maybe that greater thing that he's talking about is like collectively all together, we'll just do more. But the word there isn't the word more, it's the word mega, which actually means bigger things than these. Now that's a cool invitation, right? But check out what, what this next line says. It says, because I'm going to the Father. Now why is that important? Because when Jesus We see this in Acts chapter two. When Jesus ascends into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And when he's seated at the right hand of the Father, it says this, that the Father pours out on the Son, and the Son is in you and you're in the Son, right? It says the Father pours out on the Son, the Holy Spirit. So here's what happened at Pentecost, if you were wondering. It wasn't simply that God just sporadically said, hey, now it's a good time to pour out my Spirit. But what happened is those believers in the upper room had put their faith in Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, that means that you're in Jesus and he's in you. And so because they put their faith in Jesus, the Jesus that was in them was also seated next to the Father and the Father poured out on the Son, the Holy Spirit. And because that Jesus is in you, you get access to that same Spirit. And that's how you get the mega. Anybody, you're up for that? All right. So that's what it means to be a disciple. It's it's about, go back to Matthew. It's about changing our belief. What religion wants to do is change your behavior and doesn't care one lick about your belief. And so you could be miserable internally, but in religion, as long as you're behaving right, nobody cares about your belief. But your belief is truly just, your behavior is just symptomatic of your belief. It's actually your belief that matters. So you want to raise powerful kids that change the world. Don't simply address their behavior. Pay attention to their behavior, and you absolutely have to deal with their behavior, but let that be the doorway into dealing with their belief, helping them believe better. Because that's really all that repentance is, right? It's not I'm sorry for what I did, but it's actually I'm believing better about what got me into this circumstance. And when our kids learn to believe better, when you and I learn to believe better, then what happens is the standard in our life goes up and the behavior is no longer an issue. I've told you this before, but my, in my younger years, my, my struggle with sexual sin was totally rooted in belief. I, I had all sorts of people come to me and say, oh, 
You know, you're gonna struggle with this the rest of your life. That's a lie. What you need to do is just stop it. Try harder. That didn't work. Because what was going on inside of me was I believed that I didn't have what it takes and I was struggling with receiving the love of God. And when those two things took care of themselves, the behavior had no appeal left. All right, so we're back in, in Matthew. It says, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's a big word. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I think it's actually why we're here today, quite honestly. What that means is this. Whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves. That doesn't mean that you need to hate yourself. That doesn't mean that you need uh, to, to beat yourself up. What Jesus is saying, let me, let me give you some 21st century language. What Jesus is saying is, whoever wants to follow me must surrender to me. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to surrender. And you see, a lot of us have stumbled into religion, and, and, and we get there in a couple of ways. One, we get there by going down the road of, this is the tradition that I've grown up in. And so I just kind of ease my way into Christianity and I know how to talk the talk and walk the walk. I've got all the behavior stuff. But you've never surrendered. And so you can pray the prayers, you can do all this stuff, but it's actually surrendering into the person of Jesus. It's giving over your life and your will to him that transforms you. Others of us may have started by surrender, but then we've weaseled our ways out of it. Like we got excited about God and maybe at a deep level, trusted our life to him. But as time has happened and life circumstances have stacked up, we have started grabbing back the reins of our life so that we could be in control and secure and safe and successful. And we stopped living a surrendered life. Here's what I don't mean by surrender. I don't mean that if you surrender, that you necessarily have to sell everything and become a missionary somewhere in the world. Or that you have to live an absolutely unstable life and be totally unpredictable. Because what God wants to do with a surrendered life is he wants to put it on display for his glory. So inside of your surrendered life, what he wants to do because he's really good, is he wants to pour out his love, his purpose, his favor. He actually wants to build something in you and something with you that will last for generations. 
And what that requires is that we surrender. And it, what, what that means is that I give him all of me. That I, I lay down even my, my intellect, I lay down my pride, I lay down what other people think, and I say, you know what, I'm all yours, I'm surrendered. There's a story I heard this week of a, a guy who was shipwrecked, and he was the, the lone survivor in a shipwreck, and he was clinging to a waterlogged piece of wreckage that was slowly sinking and barely keeping him above water. And so the Coast Guard shows up, and because of the wreckage, the best they could do is throw a lifeline. And so the, the challenge was, the problem was, is that in order to grab a hold of that lifeline, in order to make it into safety, in order to be found and saved and secure, that man on the waterlogged sinking wreckage would have to surrender his grasp on the wreckage. And though the wreckage was slowly sinking, it was also all he knew to keep him safe. What surrender looks like for you and for me is that we say to Jesus, I'm giving up control what I know to keep me safe and I'm grabbing hold of the lifeline that you are throwing me. And it's an incredible challenge. And the truth is, is that it is a daily challenge because the temptation is to surrender once and think one and done, I'm good. But what it actually looks like is to live a surrendered life. And here's the best way I could say it is, it's taking your life from here. And by the way, that tight grip on life may be the reason why you struggle with fear and anxiety. And doing this. God, whatever you put in my life, I trust you. Whatever you take from my life, I trust you. I know that you're good and that you're for me. Now, some of us haven't surrendered to God because we didn't trust that he was actually for us. And your fear has been that he only wants to take from you. I love what the late missionary Jim Elliott said. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The invitation of surrender, this is not simply an invitation for new people to church or people that have never trusted their life to Jesus. This is an invitation for all of us. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to live with your hands open. You have to live a surrendered life. You have to say, Jesus, all that I am is yours and I trust you. Some of us think, oh, well, if I, if I do that, it, it could cost me this, it could cost me that. It may cost you everything. But it will only cost you what cannot last. And in return, I promise you that you'll get everything. I love what Jesus told his disciples when he was uh, just done talking to uh, the, the rich young ruler who basically had too much to surrender. He's like, I, I can't give this up. And it doesn't take a lot to be too much. It's just whenever you cross that line of too much is too much, right? And so Jesus said, well, Jesus' disciples said, what about us? 
we've given up everything to follow you. And he, he said to them this, surely in this life and in the life to come, you'll get back way more than you ever gave up. And that's the, the promise of surrender is because God's good, what he'll do is he'll make in your life what was temporary last for eternity when you surrender. And it's not simply what's temporary on earth being traded for the afterlife, though that's part of it, but it's also that in your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and your spiritual children and your spiritual grandchildren and your spiritual great-grandchildren, there's a legacy left behind that impacts them for eternity and way outlasts your life. It goes on to say for, in verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will find it. What good will it do someone for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? In my life, I've had to come to this place several times where I would say, you know what? I started off doing this and I began to do this. And what I've realized in that whole process is that it's been my belief that has caused me to take a tight grip. Misinterpreting disappointment, mishandling pain. And in the middle of all of that, the temptation is to pull the reins back and say, you know what, I, I think I got it from here. I believe the invitation for all of us is just to say, you know what, Jesus, I surrender. I give you all of me. And what happens is, is that as we do, he makes something meaningful out of our lives and gives us the ability to make an impact that blesses nations and generations. Stand with me. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you, we welcome you. You just ask God, God, is, is there anything that I'm holding on to that I need to surrender? Maybe you're here and you've just never given your life to Jesus. You've never trusted him with you. And you just need to Surrender to him, to his love. Recognize that because he loved you so much, he went to the cross. He died the death that you and I deserved. Took care of your sin, has forgiven you. That he rose from the dead. 
defeated the enemy and has given you eternal life, life with him, the right to know him and to walk with him. Our ministry team, you guys can come forward. If if you'd like to receive prayer this morning, they'd love to pray with you. Also, the, the altar's open. If you're just like, you know what, I just have been holding on too tight and just want to surrender, then you can just find your way between them and just begin to lay down your life before God. You can do that in your seat also. Our prophetic team had a few words for people that I want to read before we worship a little bit more. Um, There's somebody here that has a pain in the arch of their left foot that God wants to heal. Somebody that's wrestling with night terrors and it needs to stop. Somebody's got pain in their right ankle and foot uh, from arthritis, maybe an accident. Someone that's going through what seems to be a horrific life situation. The Father is speaking peace into your hearts this morning. They need to rest in his word and not the words of others who are speaking negativity into their life. Somebody waiting for test results on something physical or they've already got the results and they're very concerned and they feel like Jesus, uh, that, this person says, I feel like Jesus wants them to know that he's with them and hears them. I feel like there's somebody, this isn't in there, but I was, as we were worshiping, I felt like there's somebody that you're going in for surgery this week and God wants to heal you before you ever get into surgery. I said that there's someone in red that needs to know they are seen and that God wants to heal somebody with headaches or migraines that's causing twitching in their eye. Another person healing from loss of taste and issues with your tongue. So Lord, we just thank you that you love to heal. It's your pleasure. We just invite you, Lord, just to meet us right where we are. Maybe this morning you're in a place where you've like, I've just been living a, power, a powerless life. And I, I want, like, G, like the Father poured out on Jesus, the Holy Spirit, I want that. I feel like God just wants to pour out the Holy Spirit on you. If, if you just need to respond this morning, whether it's to those words or anything else God is doing in your life, feel free to come forward while we worship. <laughs>